We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, read verses 8 through 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Amen. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Probably one of the most famous sentences in world history. Truly. There are a few statements in the Bible that even most non-Christians know. And this is one of them. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. These very powerful, powerful words. Very attractive words that we love, and rightfully so. But the, the world loves this passage. It's in Christmas songs. It's on Christmas cards. Even the unsaved people in the world love that sentence. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And anytime the world loves something without being born again, we need to beware. Because it means we don't understand it. If an unsaved person with an untransformed mind loves something about Jesus, then they don't understand him correctly. Because everybody who's not born again hates Jesus. So this phrase, this story, is so well-known and so sentimental and so marketed at this time of year that I, I wonder if maybe we don't understand what's going on here. Because if, if the world embraces it, something's wrong. Hmm. So there are some people like John Lennon and others who take peace on earth, goodwill toward men to mean world peace. No war, no conflict. This is God's will. There should never be war. There should never be any conflicts or differences. Uh, the hippies used to say we should wage peace instead of waging war. That is not at all what the angels mean. You can't take all of Scripture as a whole and see Father God nor Jesus and say, that they want no conflict. Because Matthew 10, 34 says, do not, Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And in Luke 12, he says nearly the same thing. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. From now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. In Ezekiel 13, 10, speaking of the end times, God says one of the most powerful deceptions of the end times right before Jesus returns will be world peace. That is one of the most powerful deceptions to take over humanity because we want it so bad. The people of the earth will follow the Antichrist instead of Jesus because the Antichrist will bring a false, counterfeit world peace. Jesus is coming to bring conflict between two kingdoms. Hello? Ezekiel 13.10 says, false prophets have seduced my people, saying peace when there is no peace. And Romans 16.20 says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That doesn't sound like world peace. 
That sounds like conflict. So if the angels don't mean world peace, when they say peace on earth, goodwill toward men, what do they mean? Some people might think that uh, what God wants is for me to be at peace. And what we mean by that is to have a peaceful, tranquil life. That is also a really powerful deception. And you've heard me preach on this one several times in the past, that our desire for tranquility is a very powerful deception. We so desire to run away from our problems and just go sit on the beach and have a margarita. Or I want to go sit in a mount- by a stream in a mountain cabin and just all my problems disappear and melt away. Or I want to go be a monk in a monastery and not have any responsibilities and not have to deal with any people where nobody talks to each other and I just get to pray all day and only exist with God. It's a very powerful deception that we want to avoid difficulty, avoid problems, avoid responsibilities, avoid work. And we call that peace. And so we want to be separated. And hey, Mitch, the word holy means separated in and uh, removed from the world. And so whether we have uh, an earthly idea of that, which is sitting under an umbrella on a beach, or, or we can spiritualize it by going to be a monk in some mountain monastery somewhere where I don't have any problems to deal with, it's actually a very anti-Christ idea that we could achieve tranquility. That's, that's actually Buddhist. It's a Hindu idea. That if I cut myself off from everyone else and all the earth and earthly responsibilities and cares and all relationships and I don't care about anything, I can achieve nirvana because I don't, I'm not attached to anything. I know that when you think you dream about a permanent Hawaiian beach vacation, you're not thinking I want to be a Buddhist, but it's the same idea. It is. This dream that we can separate ourselves from troubles, conflicts, responsibilities, work, effort, sweat, pain, all these things that we want to get away from so that we live this tranquil life and we're never disturbed. Hey, God wants me to be at peace. It's actually an antichrist idea because John 16, Jesus says this, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Where is peace? In Jesus. Where are troubles? In the world. This passage actually finishes up Jesus telling the disciples about all the bad stuff that's going to happen before he returns. Hey, there's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be outbreaks of terrible disease. People are going to hate you. You're going to be arrested for being a Christian. And they're going to put you on trial and put you to death. But I've told you all this so you can be at peace. Thanks, Jesus. That's real encouraging. You're telling me all the bad news and I'm supposed to be at peace? Because peace is in me. Because I promise you, you will have trouble. So us dreaming, fantasizing about trying to get away from all the troubles um, is actually anti-Christ. Jesus promised us we would have them. So we find peace in him in the midst of a world full of troubles. That's seeking Jesus. So so yes, God wants us to be at peace, but that doesn't mean trouble-free, tranquil life. Another idea that people might have about peace on earth, goodwill toward men, is that since God wants peace, then I have to be a peacemaker. And we know, we all know, Jesus said that in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. But, is most often we are not making peace 
we are keeping peace. We are avoiding conflict. We don't want to upset that certain family member by bringing up this topic because we know that that's just going to cause trouble. So I violate my own conscience or I just eat all of the cost of this decision because I don't want to have the difficult conversation with the difficult person. That's not peacemaking. That's peacekeeping. And Jesus is definitely not a peacekeeper. He is a peacemaker. And to make peace costs a lot of conflict, actually. Hello? Yeah, Jesus is a confronter. But so often we take being a peacemaker and we turn it into, I don't want to upset anybody. I have to pacify everyone. I have to say yes to whatever anybody asks. I don't want to draw any attention to myself. I don't want to deal with the problem. Let's just, let's just pacify. Just don't upset them. We'll just take care of it over here. And, and uh, I read a really great article this week about George Bailey on It's a Wonderful Life and how he caused all his own problems because he just did what everybody else said or what they needed or what he thought they needed, but he never stood up for himself. And actually, I know a lot of you really like the movie. I don't. It stresses me out <laughs> because I have to learn the same lesson. Like, I understand George Bailey's frustration. And, and yeah, the ending of the movie is all nice and everything, but this article was actually it was really great for me to read. It was, like, it was like he should have had a talk with his incompetent uncle and told him to get a different job because he's obviously a terrible banker. He should have had a talk with his brother and said, you agreed that you would take the business when you got back from college. And so maybe now things have changed. Yes, you've gotten married and you've got this offer from your new father-in-law. And yeah, so maybe things change, but we need to talk about it because I have a life I want to live too. And the article wasn't saying that George Bailey should be selfish, uh, the opposite of what the movie is about, but, but that because he just did what everybody else thought he should do or what he thought they needed, frustration and anger. Yes, we have to be a peacemaker, but, but Jesus, when he says, when God says peace on earth, goodwill toward men, he doesn't mean that you have to keep peace at the cost of your own soul, where you're full of angst and anger and frustration. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, we will have conflicts with each other. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and man's enemies will be those of his own household. Of course, he's not talking about sin. He means if you're going to obey me, there will be people in very close relationships with you that won't like it. And you are not going to be able to keep the peace in your family. If you're going to obey me, you're going to make some people really upset. And you have to choose me rather than them. So, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. What could it possibly mean? If it doesn't mean world peace and it doesn't mean peace, keep the peace in, in all your relationships and it doesn't mean that tranquility for you, well, here's Ephesians 2.14. For he himself, that meaning Jesus, is our peace. So when the angels show up to the shepherds and say, hey, peace on earth, peace is not a feeling or even a state of existence, peace is a person. Guess what? Peace himself just arrived on the planet. That's what peace on earth means. Peace was just born a mile or two away. You can go find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. 
He is peace. The real peace has just arrived, just been born to the earth. Romans 5.1 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the only source of peace. He is peace in the flesh. And our relationship with him is the only source because otherwise we will be in conflict and angst and anger and selfishness and all the other things. And, but in him we can find real peace no matter what is going on around us. Amen? Amen. So Jesus himself, when they say peace on earth, they, peace is now on earth. Peace has never been on earth before, but he is now. Amen. But I also think something else is going on here, something that I've never heard uh, anybody else say. I'm just going to throw this out for your consideration. And we're going to go back to Luke chapter 2. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So there's the one angel that talks to the shepherds for a while, and then all of a sudden it says there's this multitude of the heavenly host. Multitude is an enormously huge number, uncountable number, and who or what is the heavenly host? It's the angels all through the Old Testament. In fact, like 2,000 times, God is called the Lord of hosts, all right? His army of angels is the uncountable, the uncountable number of angel armies. They are connected with the stars. I heard a few of you say that. And uh, you've, heard, you've heard me preach on that through the years a couple times also. Uh, if you want to know about that, you can go on SoundCloud and listen to that, that the stars are angels. It's not my sermon at all this morning. I want to draw out something new. All of a sudden, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is the first time in the New Testament where the heavenly host shows up. 100% of the time in the Old Testament which is for all the scripture we have until this happens, 100% of the time, the heavenly host is an army. So what's going on here? The earth is being attacked. There's an invasion. And what is the weapon? Peace! <laughs> Bajillions of angels show up wielding peace. An army of uncountable angels comes to do battle on the earth. And what is their weapon? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Never heard this before, have you? <laughs> this is an attack of the kingdom of heaven with the love of God to the earth. This is a military invasion. And their weapon is a song about peace. absolutely amazing an astounding thought that an angel army shows up and the way they fight is to declare God's peace to the earth in the same way that Jesus uses peace as a weapon from the boat to the storm what's he say peace be still and the storm instantly quits no more wind no more waves and the disciples are amazed, who is this guy that even the wind and waves obey him? But what was Jesus' 
Yes, there's authority because it's Jesus saying it, but, but what did he do? He wielded peace against the storm and stopped it. This is the angel showing up into the storm that is human history saying, peace, stop, rest, God is here. Hmm, what if? I want to read to you from Francis Frangipane's Three Battlegrounds book. True peace is the fruit of being confident in God's love. It is born of the revelation that regardless of the battle, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You are not self-assured, you are God-assured. And when we maintain peace during warfare, it is a crushing death blow to satanic oppression and fear. Our victory never comes from our emotion or our intellect. Our victory comes by refusing to judge what, by what our eyes see or our ears hear, and by trusting what God has promised will come to pass. We will never know Christ's victory in its fullness until we, until we stop reacting humanly to our circumstances. When you truly have authority over something, you can look at that thing without worry, fear, or intimidation. Your peace is the proof of your victory. Your peace is the proof of your victory. Jesus' authority over the violent storm in Matthew 8 was the exercise and the expansion of his peace over the elements. He did not fight against the storm, and nor did he fear it. In perfect peace, he faced its fury and subdued it with his authority. Satan's arsenal consists of things such as fear and worry, doubt, and self-pity. Every one of these weapons robs us of peace and leaves us troubled inside. Do you want to discern where the enemy is coming against you? In the network of your relationships, wherever you do not have peace, you have war. Conversely, whenever, wherever you have peace, you have victory. Where Satan hurls his darts against you, the more peace you have during adversity, the more truly you are walking in Christ's victory. Paul tells us to be in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but salvation for you. That's Philippians 1.28. Your peace, your immovable stand upon the word of God is a sign that you are positioned correctly in focusing submission to the will of God. The very fact that you are in no way alarmed by your adversary is a sign that you have authority over him. Peace is Holy Spirit power. Peace is an attribute of the Holy Spirit, and when you're walking in peace, you're walking in power. In the battles of life, your peace is actually a weapon. When Jesus confronted the devil, he did not confront Satan with his emotions or in fear. Knowing that the devil was a liar, he simply refused to be influenced by any other voice than God's. His peace overwhelmed Satan, which sent him fleeing. Amen. Amen. So that passage from that book I had read two months ago, probably, and I've known there was a sermon coming about this. But this week I got to live that out. Two weeks ago on Monday, my dad had a, some sort of heart episode. He's had two pretty big heart attacks in the past, and it's some really bad chest pain um, two weeks ago, and they went to the emergency room, and they couldn't find an exact problem, but his blood pressure was 203 over 100 and something. They said, you need, you need to get into your cardiologist in the big city, they live in a rural area like us, and the cardiologist from the big city hospital, and he said, well, well, we'll do a scope. So Tuesday of this week was supposed to be a fairly routine scope of his heart. Maybe we'll find a place to put a stent in or two, and uh, when they put the scope in and it got to his heart, they found an artery that, or a valve or something that was so blocked, both the cardiologist and the surgeon said they'd never seen one that bad. 
The presence of the scope in his heart sent him into cardiac arrest, and he had emergency double bypass surgery. So what we thought was going to be a routine in and out patient thing where put the stents in and he drives home uh, turned into a pretty major thing. And Tuesday morning when I got the call from my mom that there was not a good report and dad went into some sort of cardiac trouble, I was home alone. I called Sarah and let her know what was going on. And then this is in my mind because it's been in there for trying to learn to stay at peace and think about it as peace as as the way God fights his battles. And I also needed to obey my own sermon from last week that panic is an insult to God and he doesn't take it very well. So like, darn it, the preacher at our church says that I can't pay, pray panic prayers. Uh, so, so I'm home alone and I put on some worship music, and I purposefully did not pick some nice, soft song that's going to reassure me. I put on a hard, fast praise song, You Have Made Me Glad Because of All the Great Things You've Done, and I danced before the Lord. And uh, believe me, you didn't want to see it. Uh, my ballet looks more like a hippo than, you know, whatever. But I, it was my best, honest effort to to stay in peace and not go to, my dad's going to die, how's this going to turn out? And, and then I had to go about the rest of my day, and yes, thoughts came, I'm going to have to call all the kids and tell them grandpa's dead, or I, I went back and forth between that, and thank God they found it before he died, and this could be God preserving his life, and he could live another 10 years. You know, I, I don't know, and, and I don't know, and then so I have no right to panic, because I don't know. And if I give in to fear, then that means I'm assuming that the bad thing's going to happen and not the good thing. So I did my best to stay at peace. Wednesday morning, when they tried to set him up, I guess that's really important. When you've sawn someone's chest open, that um, they sit up and they cough and they walk around to prevent pneumonia. And normally they do that on the day of the surgery. That's just astounding to me. But with my dad, they waited till the next morning. And when they did that... His blood pressure went near zero, he turned blue, and his heart and his pulse and his breath stopped, and, and we lost him. And that, mom said it was just like 15, 20 seconds, and then they, they got him going again. But I, when I knew that there'd been some sort of an episode on Wednesday morning, then the rest of Wednesday I was like nauseous and really having to fight the battle. But the battle is not that I pray hard enough or that I pray the right things or that I'm binding and loosing spirits and all this stuff. Yes, I declared scripture, but the battle is that I remain in peace because peace is the weapon, actually, according to Mr. Frangipane. Just to finish the story, um, thank you all of you who know and have known and been praying and a bunch of you know my parents because through their visits through the years, and I really appreciate your your love for them and your concern. Um, Dad was taken out of ICU last night. Was told that he could go home maybe Monday or Tuesday. But elsewhere in his book, Mr. Frangipane notes that God and His throne is surrounded by a sea of glass, meaning there's not a single ripple. There's absolutely no disturbance whatsoever. 
that God lives in perfect, undisturbed peace. That's not only where he lives, but as he rules the universe out from his throne, he rules out from that peace. But in no way, I'm adding this, in no way does that mean that God is in the midst of tranquility because there are lots of Bible verses saying that God is surrounded by whirlwind and dark clouds and lightning and thunder. Uh, there, is, there is utter chaos around God. When he comes down on Mount Sinai, um, in Psalm 18, there's numerous places in Revelation where we see that God is, there is violence around God. But in the center of that tornado, God is at perfect peace. So, I just wanted to point out, God's government comes from the place of perfect peace. But even he himself is not in detached tranquility where he's not connected with us and world events and history and the violence of hell and all the stuff that goes on in the spirit. Jesus is right there in the middle of the tornado of fire with us. But he's ruling from peace. Jesus on in his trial and on the cross demonstrate this as well. That in no way is that situation tranquil. There's lies and accusations and shoutings and beatings and blood and knives and spears and nails and thorns and crowds shouting and enemies lying about him and people passing judgment. And right there in the middle of it all, he just stands like a lamb going to the slaughter, perfectly silent, undisturbed, in peace. In the midst of a very untranquil situation, we know that he, was, he had to get there. We can see it in the garden when he's praying so hard he's sweating blood. That's not peace. He had to arrive at peace. So I'm not saying that our expectation should be that we maintain the peace of the Lord all the time and that we don't have worries or tears or anger or anything else, but we have to, like Jesus, get that prayed out to God and arrive at peace so that we can have victory over whatever the situation is. Jesus had total victory after the garden. He is completely unmoved by anything around him. Even though there's lots of storm and violence and trouble, he's completely unmoved. And we know that his mind and his heart are completely at peace because his mind and heart are still present to minister to other people while he has nails in his hands. That's just absolutely amazing that he can be so at peace with what's happening to him that he can take care of his mom and he can take care of the thief on the cross beside him. And it's just absolutely amazing that he has the presence of mind, even not just in physical pain, but in all of the drama and trauma and violence and turmoil around him, he is still completely himself. Not in tranquility, but in peace. Do you know somebody who you visited in the hospital or the nursing home or something like that and they're in terrible situation, but you go there and they're taking care of everybody else from the hospital bed? They're ministering to the nurses and their family and they're reassuring the people who are afraid and crying and, and you're like, how are you doing that? We came here to encourage you and you're encouraging us. Hello? 
And you go to other, you go to visit other people, and they complain, and they whine, and they're stirred up in their pain, and there, there's a big difference over the person who has peace in their heart. The same exterior circumstances, but one person is dwelling in peace, even though neither one of them has any anything tranquil about their situation. So, Jesus wielded peace as a weapon, and his peace was the sign that he was winning. Because he wasn't afraid. He was never afraid of anything. Because he was never in a contest with anything. So if peace is one of Jesus' weapons, uh, if peace is the sign of victory, I, I just wonder if maybe the angels on Christmas night that the shepherds saw singing peace, I, I just wonder... Is there more to that than we have known? Is this the army of heaven showing up to do battle by declaring peace over us? That isn't a nice pat on the head, calm down, have good feelings. No, this is, this is the sword of the spirit of peace. We are attacking a kingdom in chaos and we are bringing order and peace. I just wonder. Because we're not going to win any battles with anger or effort or worry or panic or despair. Pr frankly, us praying that way doesn't win either. A lot of people's prayers are panicked. God is not moved by panic. He's moved by faith. And by faith in God, we have peace. By faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. Hello? Thank God he's merciful. When the disciples panicked, he still fixed their problem. Thank you, Jesus. But maybe we can mature to the point where things don't move us as much as they used to. And God has proven himself faithful and over and over again. And maybe I don't need to be afraid of this because God's got this. I've seen enough now to know I was panicked in the past and it worked out, so maybe I don't need to today. And regardless of whether I'm at peace or panicked, I can't do anything to change my dad's health, so I might as well be at peace. And maybe, just maybe, that is affecting the situation. Hebrews 4, 1 to 3 and verse 11, abbreviated a little bit. God's promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. God's word to you this morning is peace on earth, just like to the angels. He's still saying peace to you. Only we who believe can enter this rest. We're absolutely not going to find peace anywhere except faith in Jesus Christ. He is peace in the flesh. He is peace himself. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by disobedience. Strive to enter his rest. That's, come on God, come on. How backward could that be? Like that makes absolutely no sense. Um, other translations say make every effort. Other translations say work hard. There is no mistaking what that means. It means you work hard to enter his rest. How often do we want to work hard but we want to work hard to fix the situation. We want to work hard to change the other person's mind. We want to work hard in prayer 
thinking that if I pray or if I have enough faith, I'll, I'll see the miracle, I'll get to see what the situation is. God's answer is, no, you do everything you can do to enter my rest. And from there, we'll wield peace together in your family or your body or your health or, or whatever. Maybe that's the answer for America too. Christians quit complaining or being angry. How about we strive to enter his rest? How about we wield peace toward Salem and Washington, D.C.? Just an idea. Because this isn't passive reception. Well, God, I'm not feeling it today, so you must not have it for me. No, you go after it. You go after it with everything in you. Re- take your thoughts of fear or anger or panic or whatever captive because the kingdom of heaven is taken by violence. I have to get violent with my flesh to take hold of the kingdom of heaven. John 14, 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus, I give you my peace, you don't let your heart be troubled. Don't allow it. Wield peace as your weapon. Amen.